0: Welcome to Tim Friedman 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, joined by Frank Haust, our local rock and roll expert. Frankie, welcome back. Yeah, it's great to be here. Episode 9, Season 5, rolling through this season, aren't exactly. we? Exactly. It is New Wave, Part 1. Mm-hmm. And New Wave was all the rage in 1980, 81, but sure, before that absolutely. it had its beginnings. And this time around we'll talk about The Clash and the Psychedelic Furs. And um, they had some really good stuff, didn't they? Not just... Rock'em soccer Music. Yeah, absolutely. They had some thought behind it and some real melodies, didn't they? Yeah,
1: and there was a lot of social commentary and uh, a lot of great stuff that came out of that time period. Uh, as uh, people have said before, they kind of blew away some of the old standards, you know.
0: <laughs> exactly. So it was, it was fun. Today in Rock History begins April 11th, 1936. The Society for the Preservation of en- and Encouragement of Barbershop Quartet Singing in America. That's a mouthful. I love that, yeah. Founded.
1: Well, we used to run around um, Lakewood when we were kids in those uh, uh, T-shirts. Everybody had them for whatever team they were sponsoring. That's right. And I remember the – which was the the barbershop. Yeah, exactly. And I never knew what it was until somebody – finally told me one day.
0: Well, when I was a little eager, other kids had Malley's, Dairy Isle, Burger King, McDonald's. I always had funeral homes and gas stations. <laughs> there are a lot of those in Lakewood, <laughs> like <that's>, aren't there? <laughs> you know, like, that's going to help me, or a bar, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, 1961. Nineteen-year-old Bob Dylan made his professional singing debut in Greenwich Village, New York. I wouldn't have it any other place, would that's we? That's right. He opened for John Lee Hooker. Oh, wow. Can you imagine John Lee going... Who are you? Yeah, exactly. Listening to that
1: voice. That voice. And kind of going,
0: hmm, yeah, this well, is
1: the voice of a new generation. The voice that came yeah. from you and me, after exactly. all. Exactly. <laughs>
0: 1966, the final new episode of Hullabaloo aired on NBC. You ever watched that show? I sure did.
1: Yeah, anything anything with music in it in our house was was a good thing because that meant we were kind of getting away from combat. Yeah, <laughs> Combat, Rat Patrol, exactly. The Real War on yeah. the Wagon on TV. Train. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the
0: Virginian. Yep. Guests were Paul Anka, The Circle, Leslie Gore, and Peter and Gordon. That's a good lineup. Yeah, Paul Anka even got in there. I'm 1968, impressed. Big Brother and the Holding Company made their national TV debut on ABC's Hollywood Palace. Now, I don't remember that show, do you? I definitely remember, yeah. It was on, I think, Saturday nights,
1: and... uh a fun show. Uh, I don't think it lasted too long, but uh, it was kind of one of those things that they, they had guests, or, uh, guest stars like um, Fred Astaire would be the host one week, and you know maybe Buddy Ebsen would be the host the next week, that kind of thing.
0: It would be interesting to see Buddy Ebsen do a little duet with Janis Joplin, wouldn't it? I, it, just, it would be heaven. I don't think it would work. <laughs> a year later, in 1969, Paul McCartney and Linda Eastman were married. There Isn't that nice? Guys. Peter Green announced his departure from Fleetwood Mac in this date in 1970. In 1981, on April 11th, Eddie Van Halen and actress Valerie Bertinelli were married. That's right. She yeah. was on One Day at a Time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that uh, show Hot in Cleveland, remember that? Yeah, absolutely. 1988, Cher won an Academy Award Best Actress for her role in the film Moonstruck. Moonstruck, Not sure. a bad film, that was Nicolas Cage. and. John Mahoney was in that?
1: Yeah. They, in fact, uh, a lot of good, uh, Olympia Dukakis yeah, she was, was in, in there, and uh, a lot of good players, and it was still the time when uh,
0: uh, people thought Nicolas Cage was a good actor, so yeah. that was, <laughs> was kind of fun. <laughs> that was back when he didn't need the money in doing the... Exactly. 1997, your favorite band from the late 90s, Savage Garden, released their Ooh. self-titled <laughs> debut album. <laughs> Do you have it? I know my daughter did. Um, my wife had it.
1: I'm sure she had, absolutely, definitely had
0: it. Ray Davies told Rollingstone.com in 2011 that he was set to meet with his brother Dave to discuss a possible reunion, Mm. which never occurred. Never occurred. I don't know if they meant on stage or in the record studio or just like at Thanksgiving or Christmas or
1: something. them, yeah, it could have been anything.
0: Jay Giles, John Giles, died of natural causes on this date five years ago at age 71. Boy, what a classic band and uh, player he was. Well, you were saying we better start getting some of these bands in before it gets to be too late. We'll be posthumously inducting Jacob. Exactly. Jay
1: It'll, it's, it's getting more and more kind of like the Kennedy honors. Uh, and I'd really like to see them still be able to play when they get in. <laughs>
0: yeah. Speaking of Kennedy, Ethel Kennedy was born in the state in 1928. My mother in law, Frida May, was born the same year. That's right. And both my parents. Yeah. Pete Rieger, Peter Riegert boone on animal house he also played uh the crooked newark <laughs> assemblyman on sopranos and later state senator he's also played on what show was it on? uh law and order law and he order. was a defense attorney on many episodes like a recurring character yeah. he was born in 1947 so that makes him uh about 75 today oh, wow frankie it's concert calendar time This one announced on the books not too long ago at the MGM Center Stage. They have a lot of shows coming up, and Jackson Brown is one of them. Saturday, June 25th, he's going to be taking off with his friend James Taylor on that worldwide tour, I guess starting in July, but he'll be making an appearance uh, alone as a solo artist and with his backup singers and band, of course. On Saturday, June 25th, MGM Center Stage. should be a good show. Almost Easter already. I know. Yeah, it's next it's great. Sunday. This coming Sunday. Ken Stage on the 16th. Donnie, Iris, and the Cruisers. Ever see them in concert? Yeah. In fact, I I miss the old days
1: because they were one of the opening acts for Michael, Michael Stanley. Stanley on yep. a number of occasions, and I happened to catch one of those. Uh, fun, Talk about a fun show. Yeah. Uh, Aliyah,
0: do you compute? Yeah,
1: they get the uh, three or four of their big hits in there and uh, get you warmed up for Michael Stanley.
0: Does Donnie Iris? He was in, um, wasn't he? In Wild Cherry for a while.
1: I I think he, he was the funky music, and, and of course uh, Jagger's, the Jaggers. Yeah, yes, the rapper,
0: rapper, rapper, rap. They call him the rapper, not that, the kind of rapper we hear about. That these was an,
1: days. that was another song he would play. Yeah, concert. sure. I
0: think I saw him open, or maybe it was uh, Southside Johnny, for Michael Stanley. One of those. They were always great rockers and, sure. and such great uh, sellout performers at Blossom. So they're coming to the Kent stage on the sixteenth. Uh, Paul McCartney has got back a North American tour a couple of weeks from now, the 28th. I'd like to see him, but I'm not going to go to Spokane, Washington, and Syracuse. And, and-,
1: and probably have to put a mortgage on your house to get tickets, too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I'll just throw on the album Wings Over America or Paul is Live or any of the other dozens of live albums. Exactly, <laughs> live albums years. or
1: DVDs. <laughs> that, Call yeah. it a day, you know. Exactly.
0: Journey and Toto, Rocket Mortgage Field, how's you going to go? I'm not a big fan of Journey these days. i got to tell you, without Steve Perry, to me no, it's a cover band. No, I have no need. Um, in
1: fact, uh, my bride, uh, Marty, is a huge Journey fan, but as she says... Uh, they're not Journey without Steve Perry, so that's that. So right. She put, a, she put a big kibosh on even the thought.
0: But if Steve Perry's not, I'm not going. Yeah, and I know this guy's going to sound a
1: lot like Steve Perry. It's a cover sure. band. But it's, again, it it's not the same. No. All
0: right, Frankie, the fan voting is well underway for Rock Hall induction uh, consideration. That's a percentage of the total vote, you know. Uh, Duran Duran is ahead of Eminem. They come in at number one and two. Pat Benatar, one of the only real rockers, is number three, so her chances of getting in this year you'd think would be pretty good. Dolly Parton took herself out of the running (laughs) like a couple weeks ago. She still comes in at number five right after the Eurythmics. Then Judas Priest, Carly Simon, Lana Ritchie, way down the list, Kate Bush, and Beck. The uh, 2022 induction class will be announced sometime in May, and the induction ceremony itself, probably not in Cleveland, most likely in L.A., but the city is yet to be determined officially. Those induction ceremonies probably take place at the end of October, just like last year, something like that, maybe early November. So Frankie, sad news to report from the world of campy music. Remember the song Convoy, the big number one hit for C.W. McCall? Of course. He's an ad agency executive, actually, and his name was Bill Fries and uh, inspired many, many truckers and folks just like you and me and everyone else to buy uh, CB radio, put it in their cars, you know, breaker, breaker, there's a bogey up in the sky. So um, C.W. McCall passed away about a week ago at the age of 93. Time for download discovery, Frankie. I'll go first. It's Jim Capaldi, former member of Traffic. You know, guys like Dave Mason, Eric Clapton. yeah. Steve Winwood. So Jim Capaldi had That's Love in 1983. He played the drums. By the way, Jim also co-wrote with uh, Paul Carrick the Eagle song, Love Will Keep Us Alive.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh,
0: That was sung by Timothy B. Schmidt at their concerts to this day and performed, you know, in that hell freezes over tour. That's Love was released in April of 1983. It peaked at number 28 here in the States. I got my hands on the single before it went away. Nice. Did much better on the AC chart, hitting number three. Backing vocals handled by Steve Winwood and his wife, Nicole Winwood, who were having marital troubles at the time. So the song presents two versions of Love. Cynical were the verses, and more uplifting, more idealistic, more positive was the chorus. Nice.
2: At your head spinning around that slow it's happening all the time you walk out the door head for the train
1: time I've got a song called uh, Africa by Thundermug. Not Toto? Thundermug, a Canadian band from their debut LP, Thundermug Strikes. (laughs) Not Thunderstruck either. No, released in the summer of 1972. Now the cover of the Kinks you really got me was actually their first single. But when radio stations began playing Africa, they had their first top thirty single in Canada. And that's how I heard it, being played on CKLWAM CKLW. Radio eight hundred yep. out of Windsor, Ontario. And being the summer I turned sixteen, it would be one of the last singles I ever bought. It's one of the few rock songs you'll ever hear that instead of the guitar break, boast a kazoo solo. Oh wow, that's yeah. very
0: unusual. Yes.
1: Their infectious groove had critics hailing them as the next potential supergroup. Of course, that never happened. But we still have this sweet memory, a love letter to the continent of Africa.
0: Oh, that's sweet. You know, that London, Ontario group was only around for like six, seven years. Exactly. They got back together in 1991, then disbanded in 2001. So... Thunder Mug, <laughs> and it took me forever to find this because I couldn't
1: remember the group. I remembered the song was called Africa. If you plug in Africa, yeah. you will always get Toto. You will never get Thunder Mug. Thunder Mug. And it was just I remembered that the, the um, that they had the word Zambezi in there, the Zambezi River, mm-hmm. and I tried plugging that in and went through a bunch of pages, and all of a sudden there it was. There it was. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Mental time, Frankie. I like this category because we can really start diving into some songs that maybe are album cuts, maybe deep album cuts from the late 60s into the 70s and maybe even earlier or later. This one is going to be one from you that everybody knows from late in 1971 in the fall. What you got? It's called Scorpio and it's by Dennis Coffey and the
1: Detroit Guitar Band. coffee was widely known as a studio musician he was part of the backing band at motown called the funk brothers he played on numerous hit records of the era including war edwin Starr, diana ross and the supreme someday will be together Frida payne's band of gold and the temptations cloud nine and ball of confusion taking his iconic approach to playing guitar Coffee was able to create his own voice and music that's focused on that sound. And Coffee was invited to perform on TV show Soul Train. Oh, wow. He was the first white artist to be invited to perform on the show. Now, I had always thought that Dennis Coffee was black, but he was the first white <laughs> yeah. artist.
0: You know, Dennis Coffey is 81 years old now. Yes. And uh, that Detroit music scene, I mean, Jay Giles loved Detroit. So did Bob Seger, of course. Oh, sure. A lot of artists broke out from that city, and probably with the help of CKLW as well. Exactly. Scorpio was a part of a lot of great instrumentals from that time of the 70s, wasn't that?
1: It was fantastic.
0: Brand new Key and American Pie topped the charts weeks that uh, it just missed the top five. Nice. I've got the Alan Parsons Project from the album Eve. I told you how much that album means to me the very first song I ever played as a rock and roll DJ was uh, Damned If I Do. Lucifer kicks off side one of that 1979 album. A little over five minutes long, but worth every second of it. Uh, Other songs on there besides Damned If I Do and Lucifer, if I could change your mind. But Lucifer will give you a good idea of what's to come in this album. It's one of my favorites of all time. It only sold 500,000 copies, but I think I would have bought them all if I could. They were really,
1: Alan Parsons Project was known for their instrumentals. They had a number of great ones, and this was one of them. Yeah, that's really good.
0: Alan Parsons, Lucifer, and you had Dennis Coffee and Scorpio. Artists who debuted at number one or number two. Zager and Evans debuted at number one in the year nineteen, what was it? Year I twenty twenty five? Yeah, in the, in year, the year twenty five, twenty five. Oh
1: my, what a song that was.
0: Nineteen sixty-nine, a former one hit wonder of ours way back in season one mm-hmm. from the American pop duo featuring Denny Zager, Rick Evans, this big hit, sold over four million copies by nineteen seventy. The song was recorded in pretty much just one take. Yeah,
1: and it was literally about the end of the world. Right? <laughs> In the year
2: 2525, if man is still alive, if woman can survive, they may fall. Gonna need to tell the truth, tell no lies. Everything you think, do, and say is in the pill you took today. In the year 4545, ain't gonna need your teeth, won't need your eyes. You won't find a thing to chew. Nobody's gonna look at you in the year 55. Your arms are hanging limp at your side Your legs got nothing to do Some machine doing that for you In the year 65, 65 Ain't gonna need no husband, won't need no wife You pick your son, pick your daughter too From the bottom of a long glass to go In the year, If God's a coming, he ought to make it then. Maybe look around and say,
0: It has been recorded in seven different languages over the years and by sixty different artists. Year. Number one, for six weeks, right in the middle of the summer of that year, the moon landing, got the I told you my, my brother Bob and my uh, sister-in-law, Rosie, were married. Sure. Same weekend. Woodstock, The Manson Murders, 1969, and that was the number one song and, during that whole time. And
1: that was the the, the song of the summer. Yeah, sure. it held
0: songs like Honky Tonk Women, uh, Spinning Wheel, and Crystal Blue Persuasion all out of the top wow. spot, at least for then. Good tune. Six weeks of number one for Zager and Evans in the year 2525. One hit Wonder Time, Frankie. Remember the song House of the Rising Sun? Oh, absolutely. By the Animals, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. This one was by Frigid Pink. <laughs> <laughs> I love that name. Oh, me Frigid too. F R I J I D Pink, 1970. Like the wintertime, you know, the Detroit band, another band hailing from the Motor City. It was the big cover hit. Frigid Pink took this one all the way to number seven in April of 1970. That was when Let It Be was number one, so that wasn't going anywhere anytime right. soon. They had a follow-up song called Sing a Song for Freedom, which uh, sounds like 180 for them, too, doesn't Absolutely it? Absolutely does. Only made it number 55 in the Hot 100 chart. Very popular, though, in in Detroit, of course. In fact, a young rock band named Led Zeppelin once opened for <laughs> Frigid Pink <Bank laughs> at Detroit's Grand Ballroom. That's a little ironic, that isn't t- it? That just tells you how local bands can trump. The new band's coming out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Big as they yeah. were. Mm-hmm. The band still managed to record another seven studio albums, believe it or not. The latest just four years ago. Good grief. Frigid Pink, House of the Rising oh, Sun. let have this to
1: get week. out my Frigid Pink <laughs> box set.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's this week's One Hit Wonder. Our spotlight year, 1981, kind of bouncing around. You know, sometimes we do 67 or 82 and... Now we're 1981. Lots of new artists debuted. We already heard about Stevie Nicks and Don Henley, but they busted sure. out on their own. In fact, they sang a song together, Leather and Lace, in 1981. That's very true. Young James Ingram, founded by uh, Quincy Jones. And James Ingram passed away not too long ago. Hmm. But he was a young man in 1981. Lover boy, Steve Winwood, solo artist, had that Archid- uh, diver album. Yeah, that was a good, good one. Phil Collins, you know, in the air tonight, Face Value, good album. And Lionel Richie, burst on the scene as a solo artist. We would hear a lot from Lionel Richie in the 80s, wouldn't we? Yeah,
1: he was one of the kings of the
0: 80s. And Phil Collins, too. Mm -hmm. Top singles just between you and me, that's April Wine.
2: Meant to be broken hearts don't always men left to one to try love again. But just between you and me, baby, I know I love
0: you Hungry heart, talked about that. From the River, right, okay, Springsteen? Absolutely. Keep on Loving You, there's nothing bigger than that song from REO Speedwagon. Rapture, you know, maybe consider one of the first ever rap songs. That's Blondie.
1: Exactly. At least, definitely, that got played on, on the radio,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Jesse's Girl, Spring, uh, Spring, I almost said Springfield. Wait, it was Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. Yeah. Arthur's Theme, that's Christopher Cross, mm-hmm. number one for him. Betty Davis' Eyes. That conjures up summertime, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's Kim Carnes. Yeah. If you this, were around
1: in that year, you heard. You heard, that, you you heard Davis, all those years I'm ago sure. by George
0: Harrison.
2: I'm shouting all about love. Well, they cheated you like a dog. each other.
0: heard Life of Illusion by Joe Walsh. Mm -hmm. And that summer, This Little Girl by Gary U.S. Bonds. That's right. Later on that year, Waiting for a Girl Like You would have to wait for its time at number one. In fact, it never made it there. Spent 10 weeks at number two behind Physical, which was the big hit of 81 into 82. That spent 10 weeks at the top of the charts holding off Foreigner. Right, uh, Just the Two of Us, that's Bill Withers and Grover Washington Jr. It's a great romantic song, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, Neil Diamond, Love on the Rocks. Remember that movie, uh, Jazz Singer? I L- definitely remember it, yeah. Did you see it? Yes, I did. <laughs> I think everybody did. <laughs> and then you're walking out of there and you go, why did I see that movie?
1: Uh, it, it, oh, one that just needs to be seen once. Yeah. Yeah, really. The, the <laughs> soundtrack was outstanding,
0: I thought. Yeah. And uh, the movie? Eh, no. Not so much. Not so much. What you got there for me? Some albums, right? Yes,
1: and uh, of course, we're talking about 1981 and uh, number seven, Belladonna.
0: Oh, by I love Stevie that album. Yeah.
1: Now, believe it or not, there was a time before we'd all heard of the White Wing Dove <laughs> yeah. on the Edge of 17. <laughs> right. uh, there were also those who thought of uh, Stevie Nicks' solo album being a fool's errand. Well, this album took care of that all and then some. Mm-hmm. It took all three months to go platinum and spent three years on the Billboard album charts. Yeah, good stuff. Number six, Paradise Theater by Styx. Mm-hmm. Another concept album, this time about the rise and fall of Chicago's Paradise Theater, used as a metaphor for the changing of America. Another platinum album exactly. for Styx. Number five, Long Distance Voyager by the Moody Blues. Now, Left for Dead, uh, their Blast Big album being
0: 1972,
1: The Moody's merely released the biggest album of their career, Mm -hmm. and they were introduced to a whole new generation of fans.
0: Meanwhile, talking out of turn, great tunes from that album. Yep.
1: Number four, Mistaken Identity by Kim Carnes. Oh, yeah, Betty, now, those Betty of you who are songs. saying Kim who clearly don't remember the biggest song of the year, Betty Davis' Eyes. Oh, yeah. It was number one in an incredible 21 countries and took this album to the top of the charts with it. Wow.
2: Her hair is hollow gold it sweet surprise her hands are never cold She's got Betty Davis eyes She'll turn her music on you You won't have to think twice She's pure as New York snow she got Betty Davis eyes And she'll tease you She'll unease you She knows just what it takes to make a pro blush. she got Greta Gobble, stand off side. She's got Betty Davis eyes.
1: What else was on the album? Who Did knows. it matter? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Marlene Dietrich's eyes. Exactly.
1: Number three was Four by Foreigner. Mm-hmm. Uh, a huge hit worldwide, this one spent 10 weeks at number one. Robert Mutt Lang oh, helped yeah. produce and sang backup, and Thomas Dolby played the synthesizers. Science. And the famous sax break in Urgent was played by none other than Junior Walker. Yes, he is really? shotgun fame. Nice. Finally, for my daughter Nina, hmm. the name of the song is Jukebox Hero, not juice box here, <laughs> as she grew up singing. <laughs> I don't think those were around back then. <laughs> Number two, Tattoo You by the oh, Rolling the Stones. stones. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting album because it was a hodgepodge of old, never-used tracks from the 70s, outtakes, and a few new recordings. In fact, Mick Taylor, who quit the Stones in nineteen seventy four, is even heard on two tracks. Mm-hmm. Only the Stones, at their height of their popularity, could have taken these odds and ends and fashioned a number yeah. one album.
0: Which would be their last for quite some time, if yeah. if, if, if if ever.
1: Uh, they have never hit number one with a studio album since. Yeah, the yeah. only one
0: I can remember that I liked was Steel Wheels. That was eighty eight,
1: and, and they had a number that went to number three, mm-hmm. number four, but they never topped the charts again. Number one, well. If you remember that year, you remember High Infidelity oh, by REO you? Speedwagon. Yeah,
0: some people, I thought, you know, mistakenly called him REO Reekwagon. Oh, you yes. Know, the, absolutely. The, I liked them.
1: And if you didn't know their past, you might have done that.
0: Talk about a great band live. And you were talking about, you know, how bands stuck together without having much success nationally or on the charts, but they were so good live. Exactly.
1: REO finally hit on their 10th try. Mm. You have to give Epic Records credit. They stuck with them through nine albums, where the highest chart position they'd ever had was number 29. This album spawned four top 40 hits, a number one hit, and sold over 10
0: million copies. I think everybody had a copy of that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Absolutely.
0: Want to jog some uh, some of your memory with One Hit Wonders from that year? Sure. We talked about Diesel, Salcedo, Summer Nights. Oh,
1: yes, definitely. Yeah, that was
0: there. Joey Scarberry, theme from The Greatest American Hero. Oh,
1: my God. If there was a song that drove me crazy, that would be it. Yes. Jim
0: Steinman, Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through.
1: You'll think it's a meatloaf song, but yeah. no, it's actually the writer of all the meatloaf songs.
0: A couple of great tunes from the late spring, early summer. Sweet Baby by George Duke and Stanley Clark. Going to talk about that pretty soon with a one hit wonder. And Is It You, Lee Rittenauer, who's Ooh. a smooth jazz artist. But, yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. I love that song. Grover Washington Jr., Bill Withers, and Just the Two of Us. Somebody's Knocking by Terry Gibbs. I, don't, I think I remember that song, but I don't know. John O'Banion, Love You Like I've Never Loved Before. Those are some uh, ear- yeah. earworms right there, huh, mm-hmm. Frankie? Definitely. So that's 1981 Spotlight Years. Rock releases from the week of April 11th. You know, Stephen Still's band had Manassas out in 1972. Yeah, that was a neat Good one. stuff. Mm-hmm. Bob Seger, Live Bullet, 1976. Oh, Talk about his, uh, you know, the Detroit sound. Mm-hmm. Ambrosia came out with 180, 1980. That had... A Biggest Part of Me and You're the Only Woman and some other good stuff on there, but it was more mellow, wasn't it?
1: And yes, 180, I think they were referring to their musical direction.
0: direction. Exactly. John Cougar, American Fool, big album for for him, 1982. David Bowie came out with Aladdin Sane in 1973. Great one. Grease soundtrack debuted in 1978 produced by uh, Barry Gibb. You know, Robert Stigwood had a lot to do with that. Sure. Uh, David Bowie, Let's Dance, 1983. He came to the Coliseum with his big, like, Let's Dance concert tour. I remember the police were coming to the Coliseum that summer as well. Oh, yeah. Paul McCartney came out with his debut album, McCartney, in 1970, just after the Beatles announced their, well, retirement, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the Eagles' Desperado, remember? I can't believe he made a cowboy album. (laughs) Absolutely. 1973, that was the Eagles on April the 17th. Yeah,
1: Anyone else, that might have ruined their career, to be honest with you. But uh, the Eagles bounced back quite well from there.
0: (laughs) Featured artist Frankie, New Wave, British New Wave, Part one, we're going Absolutely. to have a few of the bands, and I don't know if we're going to hit on the Sex Pistols, but we kind of will with our first band we're going to talk about, The Clash. Sure. A lot of uh, Sex Pistols in that band, huh? You like The Clash. That's one of your favorites. I love The Clash and got on
1: board quite early with their second album. Most people didn't hear of them until London Calling, but uh, Give Them Enough Rope yeah. is also a very good album.
0: 1978, yep. number two in the UK, only 128 here in the United States. Took a little time to... Get some speed going. The uh, debut album, The Clash, hit number 12 in the UK. It had Clash City Rockers, Complete Control. you got to be a real Clash fan to know those songs. Yeah. Then London Calling came out a year later. You know, an album pretty much every year for The Clash. Um, The four-sided classic featuring Train and Vane, which I really like. Oh, what a great song. And the the funny thing about
1: it is... uh... As they used to do, it was almost an Easter egg. It was not listed on the album at all, and it wasn't even listed when you when you uh, put the album on and you know how you'd have the titles. Yeah. It wasn't even listed on there. It just appeared out of nowhere.
0: Like a surprise song. Exactly. But a good one. Mm-hmm. called London Calling the Best Album of the 1980s, and that's saying something. It's If it's not the best, it's surely one uh, of them, yes, in my opinion. Sandinista, with an exclamation point, came out in 1980. Combat Rock had Rock the Casbah, one of my favorites, Should I Stay or Should I Go, from 1982. The album did well here at number 7, and number 2, Across the Pond in the UK.
1: Yeah, and they're another band that uh, works so hard to become famous. And then when they did become famous, nothing but turmoil. Yeah.
2: Darling, you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go
0: the crap exactly. came out in 1985
1: and that was crap and let me then, tell then you they,
0: then they broke up right after that didn't yes. they london calling was produced by gary by guy stevens who gave the group names to Procol Harum and the Hoople you know guy passed away in 1981 at only 38 years old mm. at alcohol troubles the clash liked his knowledge of american r b's music scene and also he played a role in the british beat that was coming out with the who and the Stones and Small Faces from the mid to late 60s. So Guy Stevens was one of the uh, guys that um, The Clash turned to for their early production help on London Calling. It's a good album, don't you think?
1: Yeah, and one of the things about that album, if you listen to it, it's not just a lot of people think of The Clash and they think it's just straight-ahead rock and roll, but they threw in ska, reggae, Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of stuff,
0: uh, even some really middle-of-the-road tunes that's true. They did inspire many other musicians, including Sublime, no doubt. Jacob Dylan and the Wallflowers. Oh, and, I'm sure. And yeah. Many others.
2: You boys and girls, and calling, that don't look to us, phony Beatlemania, mania' us put the dust and calling, see we ain't got no swing, except for the ring, of the crunch of things.
0: Rock and Roll Hall of Famers in 2003, along with another rockin' group, ACDC, they were also inducted that night. Elvis Costello and the Attractions, The Righteous Brothers, and The Police all came in in 2003. Good grief. That must have been
1: quite a show. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, they were signed to Columbia Records, the Clash was, in that's 1977, right. which was, you know, as you mentioned, the Cadillac of, of you know Clive Davis and all those guys. And
1: that's how you knew, uh, that's how I knew when I first bought the first record, that they had a chance, was that they were on Columbia. Columbia. And usually... If you had some talent and you were on Columbia, you were going to break sooner or later.
0: They were signed to a huge sum at the time of 100,000 pounds. That was a gigantic amount <laughs> for a band that only played a handful of live gigs, like 25, 30 live gigs, and none as a headliner. That's right. how big Columbia Records and how much faith they had in this group. Exactly. From that emerging new wave scene in 1980. You ever seen them in concerts? <sighs>
1: As sad as this sounds, I had tickets to see them. My wife and I had tickets. And I came home, and it was a December night, and it was snowy, and they were at the Kent State uh, stage, and we said, I can't do it. We couldn't do it. Should I stay or should I go? We uh, stayed. We stayed, and I've always regretted that decision. Yeah. (laughs) I would have loved to have seen them. Just just before they kind of called it quits.
0: yeah, Yeah, they have gotten back together here and there over the years. But uh, those albums back then in the late 70s got a lot of airplay on the college radio stations, especially the one I was at, plus another group we'll talk about in a minute, the Psychedelic Furs. So London Calling and Sandinista, those were big, big albums for us to play.
1: Yeah, and the and the whole point problem with the band was Mick Jones wanted to be popular. He mm-hmm. wanted to have hits. Joe Strummer, who was the other leader, Yeah. Wanted to be, you know, underground. They wanted to, he wanted to do the new wave thing and kind of, and they could never get it together.
0: Joe passed away in 2003. That's, that's 19 great. years ago already. Yeah. Goodness. Where's the time go, Frankie? Mm. That's a clash. Good band. Oh, one of your stuff. favorites. Yeah. Absolutely. One of my favorites was Psychedelic Furs. I tell you, my friend, Bob Burnett, who was our, our music director back in ACRN after Joe Regis, we talked about that with the, our ACRN days a couple of seasons ago, which by the way, is one of the most downloaded shows of all of ours was Hmm. the ACRN 50th Anniversary Show. Uh, But anyway, the Psychedelic Furs got a lot of airplay on our station. They came out right around the same time as The Clash. Sure, yeah. Different kind of sound. Same in London, 1977. Lead singer Richard Butler and his brother Tim on bass guitar get some really, really good tunes like uh, Pretty in Pink. Remember the movie soundtrack? Absolutely, yeah. They they re-recorded that song for that movie, which came out in 1986. sung pretty in pink from talk 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 was 1981 right after their self-titled debut album they began jamming you know in their parents front room and then the parents kicked him out of there <laughs> <laughs> way too loud First two albums produced by renowned record producer Steve Lillywhite, who also oh, worked yes. with these bands XTC, U Two, Stones, Peter Gabriel's third solo album. Absolutely. One of my favorites, The Killers. Dave Matthews' band's been credited with over five hundred albums in his illustrious career. Wow. Steve Lillywhite. Forever Now, nineteen eighty two. One of my favorites, produced by Todd Rundgren. Following the departure of Roger Morris and Duncan Killboard, they became a quartet, so a little bit of um Don't know if they had strife. They just had guys coming and going. You know, "Love My Way," which is a really cool song. You'll see that uh, featured in the film Valley Girl, the original. You know, with a young Nicolas Cage. Actually, a pretty good movie. Wow, yeah. One of those that if it's ever on, I'll just stop and watch. Mm -hmm. When I was in my early twenties, it would be on the movie channels, HBO or whatever, and I'd make sure I watch it because I love the song "Love My Way." It hit number forty-four. On the Billboard Hot 100, Todd actually played marimbos on this song. And, you know, uh, you talk about some of these
1: songs that were on soundtracks. uh, In the 80s, literally, late 70s and in the 80s, uh, if you could hook up with a soundtrack, I mean, there were a lot of hit records that came out of those. No doubt.
0: (laughs) And, of course, we talked about Pretty in Pink. The album Mirror Moves also had an all-star producer, Keith Forsey, who we talked about before. He co-wrote the movie music hits like Flashdance, What a Feeling?, the heat is on and don't you forget about me from Breakfast Club in well, 1985 oh what great stuff so, that is so he knew how to get his songs into movies didn't sure. he by this time the first had become a trio hmm. <laughs> so one of their members left Robert they were Smith. like Genesis <laughs> they were <laughs> shrinking <laughs> <laughs> and then there were three <laughs> Robert Smith of The Cure mentioned that this was one of his favorite albums Mirror Moves from 1984 beat the number 43 in the states a lot better in New Zealand where it did number 5 there Night to Midnight came out with Heartbreak Beat, which you probably know, 1987, and that re-recorded version of Pretty in Pink. They still recorded as a trio, but things started cooling off. You know, the compilation album in 89, Book of Days came out in um, in 89, the compilation was 88. World Outside in 1991, that'd be their final studio album. Uh, for more than 20 years. They did release an album of new music in the summer of 2020, but everybody was, you know, all COVID and locked down. Exactly, yeah. It was called Made of Rain. It did not chart here, but it did continue to do well overseas. So Psychedelic Furs and The Clash kind of start off our our new wave. That was part one. We'll do maybe the Ramones and some other bands from from that that genre from the late 70s and and early 80s. I really like that music coming out of the, the UK scene.
1: Yeah, and the surprising thing about both those bands is how melodic they were. Mm-hmm. You think about that time and you think about yeah. boom, boom, boom. it wasn't all that way. It was a lot of great melodies.
0: So, that's our featured artist for the week, The Clash and Psychedelic Furs. Next time around, we'll stay overseas. We'll talk about the Hollies. Another great thing. Yeah, kind of like bouncing around. We'll go back to the mid to late 60s. Thanks for joining me, Frankie. Oh, it's been great. I'm Tim Friedman, your host, Tim Friedman, 70s Rock Conversations. We'll see you next time.